We are CJLL. Chin Radio 97.9. It is Thursday, and this is uh, Chin and Ottawa 97.9, and uh, that means that on Thursday it's time for Ernie and uh, the ADR program, which uh, we've been uh, uh, running on this radio station for how many episodes now, Ernie? This is now 113 shows. And alternative dispute resolution, Gary, you know, you said today we're going to be on a high. We're talking about <laughs> marijuana, yep. marijuana laws. Should they go up in smoke, policy, policing, and pragmatism? We have some very interesting guests with us here today. Um, i uh, like to welcome back uh, Paul Bendis, who's been on the show many times, very diverse and very different panels, a values panel, the taxi panel. Paul is a fleet owner. Um, he's been in the taxi in his 30 years. He's on the committee. He's a citizen advocate. Um, he's been on shows with uh, violence uh, and men's access to justice and so on. He's a beautiful daughter named Anastasia Bendis. Welcome back again, Paul. Thank you, Ernie. Thank you, Gary. I think you said 113 shows. I think this is my, I believe this is my fifth show, so it's good to be back. Just a short little thing to my daughter, Anastasia. By the way, that's a taxi cab fleet owner. Uh, but to my daughter, Anastasia, uh, everything is fine. You need not worry. I'm surrounded by lawyers, so I feel safe and secure. So everything is okay, Anna. <laughs> daughter was afraid of what he'd say, get him, get him in trouble here, but that's not going to be the case here. And we have, um, and I thank Paul, too, for helping put this show together. I mean, he actually helped yes, us bring in these great yes, guests we you, have. Thank you. We have uh, Mike Foster. Welcome, Mike. Pleasure to be here. Now, Mike Foster opened Crosstown Traffic. Uh, He's been a it's a Ottawa it's a cannabis store. He's an activist. He's been there since 1992. He's a founding member of the Marijuana Party of Canada. If you looked at Elections Canada, Gary, you see all these parties I never heard of before. But we all heard about the Marijuana Party of Canada. Um, he might tell us about the founder. Um, he was a former candidate for the Marijuana Party in Ottawa Centre. Uh, former columnist for Vice Magazine and uh, Upfront Magazine, and he helped establish the Compassion Club to provide cannabis to the sick. That'll come up in our show. And you do public classes on cooking with marijuana and hope to host more. Well, that's wonderful. Now ADR means a drug resolution, so we'll talk about that. And uh, we have with us also a colleague of the bar, Eugene Oscapella. Thank you very much for coming in, Eugene. I'm delighted, Ernie. Eugene is a barrister and solicitor. He completed his studies in uh, University of Toronto Economics, and he's a graduate of University of Ottawa Law Degree. That's where I went to. I'll, uh, you have your master's law degree from London and a member of the bar since 1980. You were uh, commission counsel to on the inquiry at the RCMP. You've been very involved with your, your CV here with um, advisors to governments and law reform commission, 
Uh, you were, uh, you know, talking about this before anybody thought it was fashionable. I think you were criticized for it. Um, you've been on policy committees. You've been before parliamentary committees and uh, talking about non-medical use of drugs. And you you teach at the Department of Criminology also at the University of Ottawa, and you write broadly around it. And also, he is in a chorus, Gary. He's a choir, sorry, a choir, opera lira, and you sing bass. Uh, and Opera Lear is going to be having Othello, known to other people as Othello, at the National Arts Centre starting this Saturday, four performances, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. And uh, let's uh, sing the song about uh, marijuana too today. We'll get... Now, let me just start very quickly with, uh, I'm going to ask both of, uh, all three of you to talk about your own journeys, how you got into this field, because the listeners like to know the, uh, the human element, element behind the guest. And what are some of the big picture issues here? Because we think about drugs, we don't think of tobacco and alcohol as drugs, and they cause all the problems. And marijuana, why is that such a big issue? Now, Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote a very famous poem called The Lotus Eaters. I remember that from English literature. And part of it said how, this is a, from the Greek uh, Odyssey, uh, where they got lost and went on a ship in Northern Africa, an island, and they started eating this lotus, which made them feel good. How sweet it were hearing the downward stream with half-shut eyes ever to seem falling asleep in a half-dream. And we're not going to fall asleep here. We're going to be awake to the question of marijuana and what it means for our society. Maybe we can start... Uh, with you, Mike, in terms of going back to basics, when you look up uh, marijuana on the website, you get 23,200,000 hits. And uh, so, Gary, we can't um, deal with all 23,200,000 hits, but we'll sort of touch the grand theme. So uh, tell us about your journey, how you got into this uh, field, a little bit about the marijuana party. Uh, people see the word cannabis, hashish. Uh, there's so many different names that are used for this uh and it's part of the hemp family. So why don't you give us some basics and tell us about your journey. My journey? Well, basically, as a, as a teenager, I discovered marijuana. I'm 52 years old now, so we're talking the very early 70s was the first time I smoked marijuana as a teenager. And uh, I didn't become a regular user right away. I mean, it's always, but it's always been there throughout my life. It always uh, struck me that this is a very misunderstood substance and that, uh, that that prohibition was actually more of a problem than the substance itself. Um, it's one of those things I used off and on throughout my life, and it never presented a problem for me. It was just uh, always there as a friend or something to enjoy. Um, I got involved in the political aspect of it. My friend Mark Boris Samaris had uh, founded the Marijuana Party of Canada, and he, 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 was, he was putting it together and uh, came to me and asked if I would like to be a founding member of the party, and, and that I did, and uh, ran as a candidate. And uh, the uh, whole idea of the Marijuana Party, obviously we weren't going to win any seats anywhere, but it certainly keeps the issue on, on the agenda. And during political debates, it... it uh, the other candidates can't avoid the issue. Just because you're sitting there as a candidate, it has to be discussed. Well, in terms of um, uh, your your role in this and uh, the the party itself, could you just give our, our listeners a sense of um, the um, part in terms of as, as I call Paul the citizen advocacy aspect of it and uh, um, the sense you have about this theme and why you think that like shows like this and. Uh, the activities do are going to make a difference. Well, no one seems to want to deal with marijuana in a realistic fashion. I mean, there's too many vested interests in law enforcement and keeping keeping budgets for uh, all kinds of things going. I mean, it's time we looked at it in a, in a mature way. I mean, everyone always sort of 
giggles like whenever marijuana comes up i get tired of jokes about the munchies i mean it's time to deal with it realistically this is a, this is a substance that's widely used across the country I figure 10 percent of the population smoke marijuana <coughs> on a regular basis and so consumption is a reality but there's no quality control out there there's 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 no testing there's no uh checking for pesticides for molds things like that so a lot of the a lot of the marijuana being consumed by the general public is not really safe well um and w- well, I understand that it's it's not as um, unsafe as other drugs that we use that are legal. So they're going to get into that how society decides which drugs, so to speak, become legalized and which ones aren't, and why they stay that way. And in that area of law, Eugene, if you could uh, um, maybe talk about your journey in in this field and how you got to where you did, what's your interest in it, and uh, why this topic is uh, do you think is so important for our society to address? Well, I'm, I'm a, a bit different than Mike. It's interesting having Mike here because we've been friends for a number of years now. I, I've never tried marijuana, and I have no particular interest in trying it, although I, I, I cannot say that I'm drug-free because I use alcohol, and I use caffeine, which you can, use, you can take caffeine in a powerful enough dose to kill you. So um, I, uh, I, like Mike, use psychoactive substances like most of us do. Um, I, I came to it... I think I, I still go back, I'm listening 25, 30 years ago, trying to figure out what got me interested in this. And I think it was when I was doing my master's thesis in England, I was looking at the use of police informants by the English police. And lo and behold, one of the most corrupting influences in policing is the use of informants. And informants are heavily used in prosecuting drug crimes. Because if you've got somebody who wants to buy a drug and somebody who wants to sell it, Who's, you know, who's going to go to the police on this? So, the, the, so essentially, you have to get this very corrupting element into the, into the legal system. Um, and then uh, in, in 1988, what really got me involved with this, uh, in 1988, The Economist magazine, one of the most respected current affairs publications in the English-speaking world, came out with a lead editorial called Getting Gangsters Out of Drugs. And they said, look, if, you know, what we've done is we've created a system that is completely dysfunctional. In a sense, what we have to do is legalize, and now they didn't mean totally legalize, they meant legalize and regulate, as, as Mike is speaking of, quality controls and, and things of that nature. Legalize, control, and discourage the harmful uh, aspects of drug use uh, that, that can occur with various drugs. I mean, uh, most people are not harmed by cannabis. Some people do get into difficulty with it, so let's, let's treat this as a health issue. Well, thank you. I mean, putting that in context of a health issue and, uh, you know, quoting magazines of that reputation is really important in terms of um, th- that that idea. And I want to, before the first segment's out, I want to get into the question you and I spoke about, which I like to phrase from the Latin, who benefits, QE bono, from uh, these these laws that we keep on our books. Um, and that's going to reveal a lot of things about challenging all institutions in our society, which is why it's a problem-solving area. So the, uh, the question of marijuana really is the tip of the iceberg about how we solve our problems in society. And um, and I'll, Paul, I mean, uh, why don't you give your background and your interest in this subject matter and why you're a citizen advocate for this? Thanks, Ernie. I, I just, um, yeah, speaking to the mic, um, uh, my first experience with with marijuana was, I'm a, I am a child of the 60s, so it was around September of 1967, I was on the streets of Haight-Ashbury and Market Street. What a, what a place to be in the 60s, eh? <laughs> um, it's, I know we're going to elaborate on, on uh, the, uh, the medicinal uses of it uh, throughout the show, and I, I don't want to get into that but right immediately, but it is a natural herb, a, a plant, 
uh, and it could uh, certainly, it's an antidepressant, amongst other things. And on a lighter side, I'm not uh, promoting or encouraging its usage. I'm just stating known facts and benefits. It's basically an inert substance. It creates uh, mild euphoria or happiness, even giddiness. So I do understand why uh, the authorities want to uh, to make, keep it illegal. Uh, I mean, I just want you to imagine right now, all of you, can you imagine most people being happy all the time? So that's, that's a very depressing thought. <laughs> so I'm attempting to point out uh, loudly uh, just just how absurd this this whole this whole thing is. So I'm just the, the experts are to the, to the right of me, and I mostly want them to to carry this. Well, thank you for those broad themes, uh, Paul. You know, you speak from a sort of a plain language thing. And uh, maybe, Eugene, do you want to pick up from that? Well, there's one thing I'd like to comment on, and that's that it, the, the Senate Special Committee on Illegal Drugs published a report in September of 2002, and they said that, look, essentially the vast majority of marijuana use is not harmful. Uh, but but Senator Nolan, the chair of the committee, said that even even if marijuana were a significantly harmful drug, the criminal law is not the best way to go about dealing with it. And that's the, that's the main issue. Even, even if some, a substance has the potential to cause some harm, the criminal law may not be the best way of dealing with it. And that, that is really, to me, the crux of the issue. Uh, because it's not just marijuana, it's other drugs. We have to look at cocaine, heroin, and, and the vast panoply of drugs we have available in society and say, look, does the criminal law do any good or does it cause massive harm? And, and in fact, if you, if you look at the, the effects of criminalizing these drugs, including marijuana, they cause tremendous harm. It causes tremendous harm to use the criminal law to deal with these things, to deal with what should be really a health and a social and a regulatory issue. Okay, well, that's a that's an angle that's really important to explore. And, uh, you know, Mike, I'd like to get you to weigh in on this a bit because uh, the public has been hearing about the decriminalization of uh, marijuana laws and, uh, you know, trying to understand to the public, well, how do you regulate it without de- and decriminalize it? And what are some of the um, comparisons that could help people understand what that means in terms of how we manage this um, this uh, called a drug this in our society? Mike, did you want to comment on this part? Well, the, the last decriminalization bill kind of tried to please both sides of the fence. It was uh, on one hand, it would would lessen penalties for possession, but on the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, it would increase penalties for cultivation. So it never really addressed the the problem of supply. Um, oh, I see. So it's one of those uh, sitting on the fence, uh, yeah, kind of yeah, thing. So it absolutely. didn't. So it, nothing. It didn't go anywhere. Well, that didn't go anywhere, and certainly the liberals ran down to Washington to check it out with our American neighbors to make sure that this was okay in, in their regard. And uh, no, the Americans certainly weren't very happy about any liberalization of marijuana laws in Canada. Yes, and that they put that as part of their what they call their war on drugs and everything, which is sort of ironical, and that's why I like to sort of sometimes in the show, and maybe in this first segment we can do that, is sort of, uh, I, I like to take a, um, a telescope view of things. Um, than the binoculars and a microscope view. So the telescope is like QB Bono, who benefits? And my recollection is, I'm going to throw this out in terms of this is also an international issue. Um, I was quote, uh, interviewed by Capital Star Magazine years ago, and from my research and what I learned from uh, uh, social studies and everything else is most civil wars are created by unemployed men. And you look at a place like Afghanistan where the people who could safely talk to journalists would say, I don't want to be a warlord, but I mean, I can't. Um, I can't grow things here. I can't grow things there. And then the drug crops fun, f- uh, funnel things. I mean, it's an economic engine for corporations and maybe even governments. I mean, I'm wondering who benefits from an international to a 
institutional to a, a local benefit. I want to just throw that out generally so we can get to the heart of what drives this. Maybe, Eugene, did you want to comment on that? Well, the if uh, drug drug prohibition, the use of the criminal law to prohibit the possession, production, sale, import, export of drugs, uh, makes no sense as a sort of a public policy measure, but it makes a lot of sense as an economic measure that benefits certain groups in society. And I think it's very important that people look at the issue from that perspective. Obviously, police get budgets from this. The privatized prison industry in the United States, which houses about 500,000 inmates, they get money. The more people they've got in jail, the more money they make. Uh, Some people call it the new slavery. Um, You've got the media that thrives quite often on these salacious stories. You know, the front page of of a newspaper is much more likely to, to go after a picture of of a, a massive drug bust with police going in in full body armor, uh, then they are to go ahead and, and show a picture of us sitting around, uh, you know, the, the desk talking about this issue. You know, talking heads don't don't make good news. So the media is part of it. Um, obviously, organized crime thrives on prohibition. Um, the the RCMP says that organized crime gets most of its income in Canada from the illegal drug trade. Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody involved in producing drugs is a member of organized crime, but 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 clearly, it's a major source of income for organized crime around the world. It also finances a lot of terrorist and insurgent groups around the world. So we are by prohibiting these drugs, we make them fantastically profitable to produce and sell, and we are in effect financing uh, groups that that produce these drugs to uh, to support their 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 violent activities. So there are a lot of uh, a lot of organizations that profit from this, and and you could argue that the pharmaceutical companies too uh, benefit by not having the competition that some other substances would provide to them. Well, that's going to be a good lead-in in our second segment about the medicinal use of. Uh of drugs, and I'm, I have friends who've got uh, you know criminal records from years and years ago just for using marijuana, and it's like affecting their whole life, their whole career, their whole prospects for the future. It's almost like um, my old dean of law would say, an illuminating glimpse into the obvious that there's a problem here. Um, maybe before we finish this segment, maybe I can ask all three of you uh, 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 to say what are the what are the obstacles? If if what what I'm hearing and what the listeners are hearing and the general public, I think Paul, you had said that there was a a large statistic of the general public don't seem to have a problem with this stuff. What are the obstacles to making changes? Um, there's these institutional issues, but what are some of the other obstacles that are prohibiting the kind of changes that you're all advocating that should be made? Would you like to make a maybe a brief comment on this on Chin Radio 97.9 FM on our Alternative Dispute Resolution Show before we just take to a break? Would you like to, Mike? Yeah, I think um, it's still probably perceived as political suicide to support legalization of marijuana too strongly. I mean, public opinion is changing. Uh, people are coming around to it. I mean, if you looked at it, in the, I remember back in the 80s, one of the uh, NDP members brought up the, you know, the possibility of legalizing marijuana, and it was largely laughed at because at that point in time, that was not a politically popular position to take. Um, it's, it's still not going to happen here until our American neighbors lighten up a little bit. I mean, we really don't make all our own decisions here when they're our largest trading partner and uh, and they carry a lot of clout. Well, that's that's a good phrase, uh, lighten up, because we're that's, uh, that's how you use this stuff. You light it up. Uh, would you like to make a comment, Paul or Eugene, on this issue about the obstacles that are in the way? Well, basically, American, as Mike just alluded to, American foreign policy is our foreign policy. The... Uh, uh, it's a losing war on drugs. Let's stress that. that, that, that it can't be anything other. Um, globally, I'm just going to read one little short paragraph. We've all from been affected by marijuana prohibition in one way or another. But when you hear the truth from so many different people and learn how this 
medicine has given back their lives, you can't help but wonder how, as a civilized society, we continue to keep this natural healing medicine behind the walls of a current, current illegal and flawed political policies. The patients who use cannabis are not drug warlords. They do not make millions off the backs of sick people. So what's the problem? Eugene. One of the big problems we have is, as I agree with uh, with uh, Mike, is that uh, politicians are afraid to do anything. There are some politicians who are speaking out and getting reelected on it, so that's a good sign. That's a good sign. It means that the debate is shifting. To the, the debate has become more knowledgeable. Um, but uh, you know, and the other thing, the other important thing to remember is that the American public actually is fairly supportive of reform. It's the U.S. administration that's blocking reform, mm. so uh, we have to keep that in mind. And eleven American states actually decriminalized cannabis in the 1970s. So I mean, all the the angst that the U.S. government is expressing about Canada going for such a, a milk toasty measure as as decriminalizing cannabis, in fact, they've done it in the states before. But the the real dilemma is that the the opponents to change, the people who want to preserve the status quo, are quite powerful in society. They're the major, often major institutions. The uh, people who want change often don't have a powerful voice. You know, somebody who's using medical marijuana, they're not a powerful, rich lobby group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's one of the dilemmas that we have. That that I believe that even if we have the, the right on our side, we don't have might on our side. And that's oh. the real dilemma. And um, I'm glad you raised the topic about the decriminalization in 11 states because uh, just before we, we do go to the break in a minute or two, it's on an international level. I was reading, I think, is that the Netherlands that um, has maybe one of the most forward uh, nations in the world about this area. And is there any other model countries in the world You've mentioned these states in the U.S. Is there any other model countries in the world that uh, has taken some sort of progressive lead on this? One is Belgium, and I think they're they're fairly progressive too. In Belgium, Spain, 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 Portugal, um, Germany to some extent, Switzerland. It's all a question in many Denmark. It's and sometimes it's a question of 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 having the law in the books but not enforcing the law and that's what happened in in essence in the Netherlands it's still illegal to possess marijuana but in 1976 the government adopted an official policy that they would not prosecute people for that so in in essence the law is still there but the policy is not to apply it and that that's a very pragmatic oh, I see. Dutch solution so I say so what's in the way it looks like a lot of smoke and mirrors eh? and uh, one last thing I want to think about is I know I have some people very close to me that uh, you know I say you know drinking and these things are really bad for you but i i know there we have some world leaders that are totally sober and they're called dry drunks uh they're they have unresolved anger right there's a, people leading our world like that so people that you know have a big thing about these things should really think twice about the fact that the most totally sober people are the most conceited arrogant violence prone people in the world so let's not be misled and i see paul's going to say something and then gary uh i'll give you a high five in a second just short and sweet um <clears throat> Uh, people that I, I I smoke it, but I don't inhale. Uh, who, which prime minister said that? All <laughs> of them. It was Kim Campbell, <laughs> as well as a few presidents and other people. We don't inhale it, but we use it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. L- let's leave it at that. Okay. Yes, Eugene. <laughs> you may remember that our our current prime minister, when he was out campaigning, was asked if he'd ever used marijuana, and his comment was, "No, I was offered some once, but I was too drunk to try it." <laughs> 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 That's a good one. He was honest about it anyway. Indeed, this is Chin 97.9. It's 1228, and you are listening to the ADR program in Ottawa. We'll be right back. The Chin Radio World Music Showcase is proud to present another 
fun concert of exciting world music. It's all taking place at Carleton University's Alumni Theatre on April 15th. Come and listen to the sounds of flamenco guitar played by James Cohen, as well as performances by Tito Medina and Gamelin Samara Winangan. Stay after the concert and speak with the musicians to find out what life is like as a musician. So remember, April 15th, starting at 7.30, the Chin Radio World Music Showcase at Carleton University's Alumni Theatre. Admission is free. They say music is the global language. Hi, my name is Thomas Radford, and every Sunday from midnight till one, I'll be exploring that idea on Culture Shock. It's a program that highlights the many sounds and voices being produced globally today. We play hip-hop, reggae, world beat. We have some interviews. We review foreign movies. Every week is something new. So tune in and get Culture Shock on Chin Radio 97.9. Chin Radio in Ottawa 97.9 and uh, worldwide at www.chinradio.com. And uh, we are delighted that you are with us this afternoon on our uh, regular Thursday feature on ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution. Any thoughts or comments, any suggestions as to uh, what you would like to hear on future programs, we'd love to hear from you at Chin Ottawa at chinradio.com or call us 613-244-0979. We look forward to your comments. And we look forward to uh, the rest of our program on marijuana with Ernie Tennis and our uh, panel discussing uh, the use of this uh, drug. The one concern I have, and I'll, I'll leave it to you, and perhaps we can discuss this a bit later. I just want to throw this out to you, Ernie. Uh, we're all against drinking and driving, and uh, over the past recent years, uh, there has been a great deal of concern about people who conducting a motor vehicle while under the influence of drug, not only marijuana, but all drugs as well. And perhaps we can look into that at some time during the rest of the program. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to bring that up with our panel. Gary Michaels was just saying on air that there's concern about people driving under who are impaired and they know about alcohol and all the other drugs and uh, about marijuana. Thanks for bringing that up. And we hope to foster a lot of good thinking here today with Mike Foster. We're going to bend your ear with Paul Bendis. And we have a person who sings with uh, opera lyrics, like he, he sings a, a cappella, and his name is Eugene. Oscapella. So there, that's my play on words for Keep those my three guests. <laughs> so, uh, Keep the, it light. So I wanted, um, in addition to what Gary just brought up, to the uh, point um, in our second segment uh, here, I'd like to talk about the origin of the prohibition. And Eugene, you have some interesting things to say. Also about uh, public misinformation that we're all used to in the world today with mass media. And uh, for listeners to get a, a, a theme of that, Eugene has an interesting story of what he teaches at the university uh, in, involving the Iraq war to talk about public misinformation. 
and we're going to talk about the medicinal aspects of marijuana. This is a very important subject uh, for us to listen to. So why don't we start with the origin of the prohibition, Eugene, and then maybe talk about the public information, misinformation that we get. Well, uh, most people would probably be very, be very surprised at the origins of our cannabis laws because Canada criminalized possession and production of cannabis in 1923. And as best as the legal historians can figure out, it was Emily Murphy, one of the famous five suffragettes, who's now lionized in a statue on Parliament Hill, who wrote these incredibly racist, vitriolic, and totally inaccurate rantings about, about cannabis. And, and, you know, she said that basically people who smoke the dried leaves of this narcotic, and cannabis is not a narcotic, it's a hallucinogen, are instantly driven insane and liable to indulge in any form of violence uh, without any sort of sense of, of uh, uh, compassion or a sense of, of, of uh, uh, morality for what they're, they're doing. And they're, lively, they're, they're likely to go insane from using the drug. I mean, it was completely unscientific, completely irrational, completely hysterical. And as best as we can figure out, that was the basis on which cannabis was criminalized in 1923. Mm. There was no debate in Parliament, as, as Mike just pointed out to me. There was no debate in Parliament in 1923 when cannabis was criminalized. Mm. There wasn't a single possession conviction for possession of cannabis till 14 years later. Mm. It, it, in essence, it was a solution without a problem. And until the early 1960s, there were never, never more than 100 convictions a year for possession of cannabis in Canada. Now we've got tens of thousands of convictions every year. In some years, in, until the 1960s, there were no convictions at all. In some years, there'd be, uh, you know, a handful. So, uh, you know, the, the, there was no debate in Parliament. There was no rational scientific look at the drug, uh, you know, and I think Canadians would probably be surprised to, mm -hmm. to, to learn this, but it's important that they understand that this was not carefully thought out. Um, and there was a lot of racism involved in this too. You know, Emily Murphy was, as were many people at the time, profoundly racist in her description of, of, uh, of these drugs. And she was saying that this was a way for the, you know, the, the, the black races and, and what she called the Hindus, uh, that's her term, not mine. Uh, this was their way to subvert you know, the, the values of white Canadians. So there was an enormous amount of racist vitriol in, in all this sort of stuff. And that's the sort of propaganda that continues today. Uh, you know, we have to realize that sometimes our governments lie to us. And, and the second point you raised was the, uh, you know, the Iraq situation. Some of us will remember back before the first Gulf War in 1991, there was this tearful testimony before what was alleged to be a, a U.S. Congressional Committee of a 15-year-old Kuwaiti girl who alleged that Iraqi soldiers had come into Kuwait City, gone into the hospitals, taken babies out of the incubators and thrown them on the floor. And this made worldwide news and, and every leader... Uh, you know, you know in, in the major Western countries was talking about it. Every major news outlet talked about it. This was a complete fraud, and it was uncovered actually by a Canadian program uh, the following year that, that this was a completely fraudulent story made up in order to, to develop public opinion for, in support of going to, to, to war with Iraq in 1991. So, you know, I, I tell my students this. I play this clip for my student, this, uh, the, you know, this tearful testimony by this girl. And I say, you have to understand that governments lie. And they lie in their own interests sometimes. And, and, and we're seeing the same thing with drug policy, that governments are not being truthful. And the, quite often the people who are, are giving us the so-called facts on drugs are also the people who profit from the war on drugs. That's, you know, so we have to change, you know, we have to, I want to caution listeners that they have to be very selective in the information that they, they believe about drugs. Well, thank you for all that uh, information and insight, uh, uh, Eugene. You made me think when you, uh, I didn't know the part about 
the racist that I'm I'm making a connection when I was doing some of my research that I don't know if this is accurate, but it made me think when you said about the Hindu is that the um, in one of the articles from the twenty three million two hundred thousand websites that I read this morning was uh, that marijuana originally came from India, and um, so I wonder if there's this sort of deep rooted. Um, discriminatory concepts behind this well if you look at most of our drug laws there's a lot of there's a lot of racism in them and uh, from the the prohibition of opium in in 1908 in canada which many people argue was a measure directed at chinese immigrants to the prohibition of cocaine in the united states uh, which was directed at blacks because it was thought that blacks would get superhuman strength by using cocaine and Mm -hmm. so they wanted to prohibit that to the prohibition of of cannabis in 1937 by the the u.s government federally uh, as a way of getting at Mexican immigrants. And even now, you know, in 1996, Canada passed a new drug law, the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, that replaced the Narcotic Control Act. And what did we do? We prohibited a drug called CAT. It's a drug, it's a leaf, very much like the coca leaf. It's chewed by uh, men of East African origin. So it's a, it's a very, you know, fairly defined cultural group that uses this drug. We criminalize this. This is not a drug that's used by, by the so-called mainstream Canadians. It's used by a minority group. Mm-hmm. And what we have done is, in, in essence, we've done some the same thing that we used to do before. Well, we don't call it racism, but in fact, we have criminalized a group of, of a minority group in this country. Men of East African origin. It's what an interesting context, you know. And I think, from an Aboriginal perspective, they would say the so-called white man had, had their own addiction, the addiction to power, political power, military power. That's an addiction in itself. And as I say, some of the most sober people, I talked to my wife Yumna about this quite a bit in terms of um, you know trying to better understand how to deal with true addictions and not to be so wrapped up with what you see as apparent problem when there's much bigger and deeper problems that have to be addressed. Um, now, one of the things I wanna, do want to get into, and I don't want to uh, forget to mention, I'm going to throw it out again, Gary, Michael's comment about impaired driving and how do you sort of, uh, how does that build into this? I see some nods around the table, so I know that you've thought about this, but let's look at the, the, med, the, the positive aspect. There's a there's a positive and a negative on everything, uh, but there is a positive aspect about the medicino. And uh, Paul, you have some personal stories that I know about in terms of your own uh, family and, and people using uh, this substance to help reduce pain with cancer and other uh, other things. So why don't I throw it out, Mike? Maybe we can start with you on the medicinal aspects of, of, of marijuana. What is the law too now on this? And Eugene, you can kick in on that. And Paul, if you want to tell any stories following up on that from your own personal experiences with your families. Yes. Well, I have a friend, actually a very close friend of mine who died about two weeks ago. And uh, sure he suffered from HIV for, uh, for many years. He was actually supposed to be dead eight years ago. But the fact that he smoked marijuana uh, helped keep him alive. And it very simply was the marijuana because it allowed him to uh, quell the nausea that came with his illness. He could keep down his medication. Because he could keep down his medication, he could also eat. He could take in nourishment. So it actually prolonged his life. Now, when I first opened my store 15 years ago, I had heard of people using marijuana for glaucoma and things like that. It was stuff we'd all heard about on the news. But I'd never really come in contact with people that used it medicinally. And then suddenly I was meeting epileptics who were coming in the store and telling me that, uh, you know, at least for the people with petite mal, a lot of them didn't have seizures anymore. They had fewer seizures. Mm. Um, I was, you know, meeting people with, like, chronic pain. Uh, people used it for a, a variety of maladies, from you know, MS, uh, a lot of things, and it just seemed to help them. Um, they, you know, they, when they would discuss marijuana with their doctors, the you know, the doctors would look at them and say, "Well, no, you just want to take drugs." But then they gladly hand them a prescription for morphine. Well, you know, <laughs> right? 
But, you know, it sounds to me the more I hear this, the more violent it is not to, not to decriminalize it, not to bring it out as medicine. You know, as Dr. Case Gannon, who does a show every uh, Friday on uh, uh, for diversity of cultures, has said, you know, when he heard some panelists here on healing naturally, he said, look, the, the professions need to look at this to see if there's empirical data to support it. Um, these aren't just anecdotal. These There must be some empirical studies around what you're saying. Um, and how do how do people now um, access uh, marijuana for medicine? What what's the, what are the rules now? Uh, what are the laws now on how you access um, marijuana? Do you have to get it clandestinely? Do you need to get a can you get a doctor's prescription? How does that work? Well, you, if your doctor will approve it, you can get a permission from Health Canada. Either designate a grower to grow it for you, or um, you can buy it yourself from Health Canada. They have uh, a company that grows marijuana. But I tried some of the government marijuana, and I was less than impressed by it. The, uh, the quality wasn't great. Um, well, they, I think they irradiate it to kill all molds. At one point in time, they were actually blending the whole plant as well. It wasn't just the buds. It was the stalks. It was everything. So my friend presented this stuff that he got from the government, and it looked like catnip. It was you know just a powder with all these little twigs in it. Um, mm. We tried it. It produced a very uneasy, anxiety-prone sort of result. Well, I heard there was a lot of it being grown somewhere, just, just rotting away. Paul? Wasn't it uh, growing in uh, mine shafts and flimflon or somewhere in Manitoba? And there was also talk of uh, uh, mercury poisoning uh, or mercury in, in the uh, substance. So I don't was there a direct result of the government actually trying to poison us with this stuff. <laughs> I don't think there's any proof of that. <laughs> no, they, they did. There, there was cannabis being uh, grown under a government program in Flinflon, uh, uh, Manitoba, and that's and, and you know there, there was debate over the quality of that, and I think that's some of the stuff that Mike's um, been referring to. Uh, but one of the, when you look at this, you know, it's hard to think of any other substance that's given for medicinal purposes that requires such an extraordinary level of complexity to go through to get. If you go to your doctor for morphine, um, they have to fill out a prescription, I think, in triplicate or whatever. But, I mean, it, it's because I've had morphine for pertussis, and, and uh, my doctor was able to prescribe that. But for cannabis, the hoops that you have to jump through are absolutely staggering. And one of the problems with doing cannabis research is that because the drug has been illegal and the government has controlled it, it's very difficult, and, and this is true in the States as well, it's very difficult to get access to it for research purposes. Now, that may be changing now. Mm. I don't know uh, because, uh, you know, Mike is much more familiar with the medical uh, cannabis issues than, than I am. But, uh, you know, it's, it's very easy to, for a government to go ahead and say, well, we don't have any evidence that it's doing any good. There are a number of studies. One of the, one of the studies I'm looking at uh, uh, right now, and I've seen several studies on this, and that's the, the potential benefits for cannabis in, in dealing with Alzheimer's. Mm. Uh, and this is something, you know, it's not just, uh, cannabis is not just a, a drug for young kids or people who want to relax. This is, you know, there may be some important therapeutic values for uh, you know, elderly people, for example, if it can improve the quality of their life and, and reduce the nausea associated with cancer and, and the pain that a lot of elderly people have with arthritis and other debilitating conditions, it's, it's inhumane not to, not to allow people access to this. And the downside of using cannabis, I mean, the, 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 what they call the contraindications in fancy medical jargon, are very, very limited. You know, it's, it's, one, of the, uh, it's one of the safest therapeutic substances known to mankind. So it's, there's very little damage that it can do to you, 
and there may be some benefit to it. So why are, why are governments so reluctant to, to allow this? Yeah, you talk about flin-flon. It sounds like a flim-flam law. I mean, I, I, uh, in terms of, uh, I, I look forward to being elderly. I can't smoke because uh, that's my throat, but I could maybe use it with brownies or something. But uh, that'll be better in the digestive system. <clears throat> but the, um, the, in terms of uh, the, the, uh, going back to the obstacles, and the more I hear it, I've got two questions that come to my mind, if any of you can address it. Um, if it's got this medicinal um, activity, and, and Paul, I know you can speak to that from personal experience, and uh, you already have, Mike, and I know of people. Uh, where does the medical profession stand on this? I mean, they're supposed to be our profession, our for, for looking, why not uh, doing empirical studies about that? That that strikes me now more than ever as a question that's just glaring at me in terms of what, what is the what, what is the position of the medical profession on this? Uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, well, doctors were warned by their governing body, the, the College of Physicians and Surgeons, that if they recommended marijuana as a substance, that they could open themselves to the possibility of lawsuits because it hadn't been proven and tested by government as, as being effective. Okay, so you're back to square one in terms of the, the, the political um, and the legal sort of basis under which this whole matter is being addressed. And that raises the other, you know, the point, which is a large point that comes up a lot in our ADR show, which is the, uh, what do you call it, the challenges to the underlying rationale for institutions. Jeremy Wright does a show on the economics of conflict and everything is sort of driven by economic greed and uh, whether it's too naive or too simple to say, when I, and I, I feel from what I see that so many institutions, whether it's a prison system, even people say for cancer research, and you can go on on political systems and so on, even in this area, that what happens is you start having a self-serving bureaucracy that stands in the way of change because there's too many economics it's not i hear some nods and everything i wanted to start with you eugene yeah. well i mean it's it's hard to i've 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 lived in ottawa for 30 years and i've worked around the federal government for for 25 years and i i i, I can't recall a time when i've seen a bureaucracy willing to commit suicide you know bureaucracies their natural tendency is to grow and they will protect the, they will protect their own turf you know people are wondering well people may say well yeah you know you know this doesn't work but you know pays the mortgage Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunately the attitude that we run into. There are people who are in government, and there are, there are many very, very fine people in government. I don't mean to denigrate government because I've worked with some extraordinary, I yes. think the majority are very decent people. Yes. But there are also people in there who are, who are you know, feathering their own nests. They know that prohibition serves their interests, and it goes back to the issue of who profits from the present system. They are feathering their own nests, and they're not going to change. They're not going to push for change because... They may be afraid of losing their job or getting shunted off to another department or something like that. So it's very difficult to dislodge these bureaucracies and to change the, the sort of institutional thinking of, the, yeah. of them. Well, that, that's what I, th- I think beneath all this is this broader iconoclastic look at our, how our society functions is to challenge the, all the assumptions under which these institutions work and how difficult it is to expose it. A birdie just whispered something in my ear, even the recent committees the last two days about trying to expose the fraud at the alleged fraud at the RCMP at the top levels and how it's taken years to sort of to get around that. But and when you start hearing about personal stories, I don't know, Paul, I, keep, I don't know if you or Mike or usually you want to tell any more personal stories that listeners can uh, relate to, I'm sure, out there about um, this public education to get the changes done for the loved ones, their friends, the members of our community to uh, have a better quality of life. If it can help and it doesn't hurt, why not try it? Is there any other personal stories anybody would like to tell on that? Eugene? Well, one of the most famous personal stories is not my personal stories, but it's that of Lister Grinspoon, who's a uh, professor of medicine at Harvard University. His son 
uh, died of cancer at a very young age. And cannabis was one of the things that, that, that gave him some quality of life when he was going through chemotherapy. He had been violently, violently ill. And, and uh, Lister Grinspoon, this is, not, this is not a charlatan physician. This is a respected Harvard, a Harvard mm. uh, professor. And he has been an advocate for decades since then for medicinal use of, uh, of cannabis. Um, and and uh, the, the gentleman that Mike was referring to just passed away a few weeks ago. That was uh, Jean-Charles Perizot. Uh, this was a fellow who was, who was dying... He was essentially starving to death because he couldn't keep his food down. He couldn't mm. take his medication. And, and you know, cannabis allowed him to stay alive. And I firmly believe that. I'm not a doctor, but I've seen enough uh, incidents like this where cannabis does benefit people. Um, and, you know, why are, why are we denying this to people? It's, it seems inhumane to do it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, we've got, and we've got a huge bureaucracy that, that, that seems to make every effort to, to make it difficult to get access to these, these substances. You know, the, the more I hear, it's just like uh, war. I always said war is good business for the few and peace is better business for the many. It just sounds like another repeat performance of uh, ec- economic greed. Well, you had the military-industrial complex in the 60s and and, and uh, then the narco-industrial complex, as some people want oh, to call yes. it, and now you've got the terror-industrial complex. I mean, you've, yeah. they, they, there's money behind a lot of these things. There's an enormous amount of money that, that really interferes with sensible public policy decisions. Well, they we're trying to uncomplex a complex subject. We're going to go to a, a we'll see if anybody wants to sort of say a last word or two before we go to a, a break. And uh, we're going to come back with a vision statement for the future and what listeners can do individually on their own to uh, help the, move this uh, discussion along and change things. Uh, anybody want to add anything? Paul? Yes, I, I'm just, I'm going to get into the other medical uh, attributes just after the break here, but I, I just want to touch on other things other than um, the, the medical benefits. Um, marijuana, uh, I, it, it, besides the medical benefits, it can be, it, I guess initially it was used as rope or hemp. There's paper products that uh, come out of it. Uh, it's so much so that they could uh, uh, stop or, or reduce, uh, you know, clear-cutting our forests. Uh, you can make clothes, pants, shirts, skirts, handbags, wallets, etc. from it. And so it has a, a multitude, a multitude of usages that uh, can be derived from this. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's uh, being hampered by this just antiquated... Uh, uh, the, the laws that we have. So I mean, we've got to we've got to strike them down. And and people like uh, I, this is very interesting. What Eugene said, Emily Murphy, uh, feminist. I'm not surprised that she was also a racist. Maybe there's a correlation between a feminist and a racist. Sorry, uh, Gary, I, I had to slip that in. I know there isn't, but <laughs> <laughs> he's doing a confessional here. So why don't we? Um, um, take a little bit of a break and uh, come back we'll hear a vision statement and, and listeners uh, moving forward as a community to improve the situation. And uh, perhaps we can also uh, discuss briefly uh, the, t- the, uh, the subject matter where people say, well, yeah, you know, once you take marijuana, uh, you know, you get tired of that high, then you want to get uh, a higher high and then you move up to some harder drugs. So there's that, there's that bit too. So we'll, uh, we'll get into that. We'll do that in the third segment. <laughs> okay, we'll get into that right after this here on Chin 97.9. Yana, how would I say this in Russian? Join Yana Amis Thursday nights at 10 on Chin Radio. Присоединяйтесь к нам на Русский проспект на радио Чи 97.9 FM каждый четверг в 10 часов вечера. It's as simple as that. 
It is as simple as that, Gary. Chin Radio, Yana Amis, Russian Prospect, Thursday nights at 10. 97.9 FM. Friday, March 30th, on Dialogue with Diversity, learn about the plight of international medical graduates in Ontario. Join Dr. Case Scannum and our panel of special guests, including Dr. Jeffrey Turnbull, President of the College of Physicians. That's Dialogue with Diversity, this Friday at 12 noon on Chin, Ottawa's multicultural voice at 97.9 and at www.chinradio.com. A safety message from Hamilton Tiger Cat quarterback Jason Moss. Picture this. A train is coming. You can hear it. And the warning bells. Crossing lights are flashing. And yet some people think they have time to cross. So they do. Or at least they try. I don't get it. How can anyone be in that big a hurry? So whenever you're around train tracks, please don't get carried away. A message from this station, Direction 2006 and Operation Lifesaver. We are back with more of our uh, discussion on marijuana, its uses. Chin Radio 97.9 with Ernie Tannis here at a, on our ADR program for Thursday afternoon. Ernie? Well, welcome back to our third and final segment of the show on the marijuana law, should they go up and smoke policy, policing, and pragmatism. Uh, we have about uh, five or six minutes left, so I'm going to ask each of the panelists to address um, uh, uh, anything else they want to add to this discussion. The two points Gary has raised, which is uh, does marijuana lead to higher drugs, and how about impairment of marijuana when driving, and a vision statement of, of anything for the future, what listeners can do. We'll start with you, Paul. Just, just briefly, Ernie, thank you. Um, there was a Dr. Todd McKira, psychiatrist, who wrote a, a book on the uh, medicinal use of, of uh, marijuana. He lists more than 100 ills that are eased by uh, cannabis, including insomnia, premenstrual cramps, uh, stuttering. Other things are neurological, uh, different neurological seizures, pain relief of just about every kind. Um, what it came first into usage, as I remember, many, many years ago, uh, in the leading cause of blindness, uh, apparently, in the United States is glaucoma. Marijuana has been used for many years in reducing the pressure within the eye. So, I mean, and on and on and on. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I just, again, I just don't understand why, and none of us do, why there's an entire subculture committed to, uh, destroying this uh, this plant. Thank you. Mike? Yeah, one of the uh, things I'd like to address is that we constantly hear nowadays, one of the uh, prohibitions are always saying that the marijuana today is much stronger than marijuana was in the 60s or 70s and that it's not really a soft drug anymore. It's actually a harder drug and it should be considered different. It's the same plant. It's basically just grown a little better perhaps. Uh, a lot of the marijuana that was coming into Canada in the 60s and 70s was basically ditchweed from Mexico. So it was very low grade, full of stems and seeds. Uh, as people learn to enjoy cannabis, they learn to grow it a little better. So it is the same plant. Um, so, you know What you see by and large, generally you'll get better marijuana than you did in the 70s. It still existed then. Mm -hmm. for people who knew what they were doing. But the thing, even, even that being the case, marijuana has uh, a natural ceiling. Like you can, you can smoke only so much. You're only going to get so high. 
Okay, thank you very much. And Eugene, do you want to pick up on those points that Gary mentioned and uh, what listeners could do? Well, first of all, one of the, one of the important things that, that people hear, one of the, the major pieces of propaganda that people hear in the police, unfortunately, police organizations still perpetuate this uh, sometimes, is that marijuana is a gateway drug. In other words, if you use marijuana, it will cause you to use harder drugs. And the, the evidence is quite clear on this. Marijuana is not a gateway drug. It does not lead you to use other harder drugs. It may be that the type of people who are willing to experiment with 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 psychoactive substances are more likely if you're willing to experiment with one you may also be willing to experiment with another but that's a different thing than saying that marijuana causes you to lead uh, you know to 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 use another drug so the notion of marijuana as a gateway drug no that, that makes no sense the the second thing is the issue of, of cannabis and impaired driving uh, first of all I, no no advocate for cannabis reform is in favor of, of impaired driving um, uh, but cannabis, there have been a number of studies done on the impact of cannabis on driving, and it, 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 the net effect is that cannabis is not a significant contributor to motor vehicle accidents. Now, that said, I still would advise people never to, you know, don't smoke and drive, don't do anything that puts your driving abilities at potential risk, but it is not the serious contributor to accidents that, that alcohol is. Uh, and alcohol combined with cannabis is quite dangerous. So, But, but I mean, the basic message is that, look, don't be impaired by lack of sleep, by don't drive while you got the flu when you got lack of sleep when you uh, when you've consumed a, a medication or a substance like cannabis or or alcohol just just to be safe um, where should we go now regulation we should treat this as a health issue as a social issue intelligent regulation the senate committee did this massive 600 page study that was published in september 2002 they essentially called for a regulatory system to which would be very similar to to um, uh, the system we have for dealing with alcohol in this country. And we need some honest education, really honest education. And what can listeners do, Eugene? Pressure on their politicians. Politicians will not move unless they feel it's in their personal interest to move. They have to do that. And also be critical of the information that they receive from groups. You know, be critical of the information that they're hearing here today. They, I tell my students this all the time. They have to be critical of the information. Don't just believe the story that comes out in the paper. Unfortunately, journalists are sometimes lazy and they will take a, a press release from government and, and quote it as fact. It ain't always fact. Well, thank you all very much. Uh, Mike Foster, uh, a founding member of the Marijuana Party of Canada who has a, a, a business called Crosstown Traffic. Paul Bennis, a, a, a citizen advocate. And um, Eugene Oscapello, who's uh, also a, a member and I think a, a founder of the, uh, one of the founders of the Canadian Foundation for Drug Policy. I have found this most enlightening. And thanks, Gary, for your really down-to-earth questions again. And let me just, I just found I got a little time to read one more section. It made me think with this poem, by Alfred Lord Tennyson on the Lotus Eaters. And there's a phrase that just caught my eye uh, that seems to fit here because we have so many problems in the world and we need to find where we're going to address our time. And in this poem, one says, Blight and famine, plague and earthquake, roaring deeps and fiery sands, clanging fights and flaming towns and sinking ships and praying hands. But they smile, they find a music centered in a doleful song, steaming up a lamentation and an ancient tale of wrong. And the tale of wrong here is that these laws have to change. Uh, I just want to thank, uh, or say again, uh, thank you, Chin, Gary, and Ernie, for having the courage to strike at subjects that are uh, not politically correct and, and controversial. It's just great to, to see that happening. Thank you all very much for everything. And uh, but Boy, we really smoked today, eh? <laughs> As always. Have a great day.